And I knew I was in trouble when I got home, you know. So I've heard the story of the Good Samaritan over and over again, dozens and dozens of times. However, there was something new that God just was like, hey, have you ever thought about this? I think that's one of the things that's the genius of the Scripture. I mean, it's what's so incredible that we can learn something. You can learn something today, and you can come back to that same piece of Scripture in a week, in a month, in a year, in a decade, and learn a new layer from it. It's what's so incredible. It's why it's called the living Word of God, because it's just active. It's constantly growing and constantly teaching us, and it's absolutely amazing. So we're going to look at this verse together. We're going to be looking at the story that Jesus told. It's found in Luke chapter 10. Luke is one of the Gospels. If you want to go ahead and start turning there, you can. Luke chapter 10. It doesn't matter if it's like an actual paper Bible. If you want to use digital, I've gone totally digital with everything now. Uh, It makes it easier for me with notes and things. Um, But I We'll be in Luke chapter 10. Luke is one of the Gospels. Gospel simply means good news. It's the good news of the arrival of Jesus Christ, that he lived his life, that he died on the cross to pay the price for your and my sin, that he rose from the grave and ascended to heaven. That's good news. And what's really cool is we have four uh, accounts of that. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of them named after their authors. These are four biographies of the life of Jesus told from each of these men. And what's really amazing is See, all of them were inspired by God. He inspired the writing, but he inspired in such a way, this is the supernatural with God. He didn't remove the imprint of Matthew's writing or Mark's or Luke's or John's. He let them have their own imprint of their personality and their writing and their audience that they're writing to. And so each one of them is a little unique, but they tell the story of Christ here on earth, of God's love for us and sending his son. We're going to look at Luke. Luke chapter 10. He's, Luke's the detail guy. So let's look at what he has to say. Luke chapter 10, we'll start in verse 30. I'm going to read uh, four verses for us here, and then we'll, uh, we'll kind of unpack a little bit and come back to it. It says this, Jesus replied with a story. Now, just so you know, the word replied is in there because he's been asked a question. He was asked, who is my neighbor? That was a question he was asked by a guy who's trying to kind of get one over on Jesus, which is a pretty brave move considering Jesus was definitely one of the, he was definitely the greatest teacher of his time. And he was known as that. Even if they didn't believe that he was the son of God, everyone knew he was a great teacher. So to try to get one over on him was kind of a little bit of pushing the edge, definitely. And the guy says, well, who's my neighbor? And so Jesus, instead of just giving him the answer, he replies with this story. Here's the story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, your version, if you're reading, might say a Levite, walked over, looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Now, as you look at this story, uh, it, it, there, there's a lot that we can learn here. Like, I've always heard this, you know, about helping people in need, and, and definitely speaks to that, definitely speaks to stepping into that, and we're going to talk about that this morning. But there are some things that are interesting here. First of all, this is not, this is not a once-upon-a-time Disney kind of story, okay? Everyone who's hearing this, he's, Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience, and as he's telling them, they're hearing this, and they're going, oh, yeah, I know that road. 
I know exactly what happens on that road. One of my neighbors, that happened to him one time, or my brother-in-law, or a friend of mine. I saw someone one time who had been attacked on that road. Everyone was well aware of this story as Jesus was telling it. So it's not just kind of like a made-up fictional thing. This is real life for everyone. What he does here, though, that is really cool is he's exposing some attitudes if you really begin to unpack. And this was kind of the new thing that God really started unpacking for me was what are some attitudes that are reflected in this story? I would suggest that there's three of them. I want to talk about those today. The first one is this, an attitude that says, what's yours is mine, I'll take it. What's yours is mine, I'll take it. So here's your chance. You get to talk in church. Everybody's always quiet in church. Here's your chance to talk. So who are, who's the what's yours is mine, I'll take it attitude in the story? Who is it? Robbers, there we go. A couple of you talked. Good, okay, we got it out of our system. Excellent. Yeah, the robbers, okay, they're the ones who had the what's yours is mine, I'll take it. Said they stripped him of his clothes, so they took his stuff, and they left him half dead. So they were even willing to take his life. They were willing to say, even that is ours. Now this path from Jerusalem to Jericho, where this happens, is 17 miles long, and it drops 3,300 feet in elevation. That's a significant drop. And because of that, there are a lot of switchbacks, zigzagging, back and forth, back and forth, working its way down through elevation. There are sharp cliffs and drop-offs there because as you're working down the elevation, the next one might be several feet below. And it was a very dangerous road. There were lots of boulders and rock, rock outcroppings, things that, that, uh, that were very dangerous. So people had to pay really close attention as they're walking down this road, as they're traveling down this road. Many people were injured on this road. Many people would even fall. And more than an injury, they would fall to their death on this road. Bandits knew this. The robbers knew this. And so they would use this as an opportunity. They would hide behind a boulder. They would hide behind a tree. They would hide behind something, maybe around a corner, that gave them an advantage to jump out and attack people because they knew they had to pay attention to the road. All of this was so common, the robberies, the injuries, the death, that this was one of few roads that actually had a name early on in, in, you know, in mankind. The name of this road out here is Abbott Road, correct? I'm, I'm remembering that right. Correct. Abbott Road. We all drove in on Abbott Road. Who wants to walk on a road that is called the Way of the Blood? I don't. That sounds terrifying to walk on. You know, if I see that as the sign, I'm like, yeah, I think I'll find another way, you know? That was the name that was attributed to this road. It was so known for things that would go so bad on this road that it was named that. And so everyone would hear this and they'd be like, yeah, I totally get that. So on this road, this first attitude is coming out that says, what's yours is mine, I'll take it. Take his stuff take his life. Not just a biblical era problem. It even happens today. You don't have to look far to find it. You could turn on the news, just watch TV, or you can jump onto social media, or whatever it might be, and you can immediately find the fact that people have this attitude of, what's yours is mine, I'll take. I mean, it's just common. We have theft and murder and robberies. We have all those things. They are constant, and maybe even you've been Someone who's experienced something like that. My wife and I have experienced extreme theft. Our ID was stolen and they emptied out our bank accounts and took everything from us like 15 years ago. It was awful. That's the society and the culture that we live in. That attitude, yes, it happens on that big grand scale, but it can actually can happen on a small scale in our life as well. It can happen in the small things where we begin to have this attitude that says, well, why don't I have what he has? Or why don't I have what she has? Why do they deserve that? I deserve that. That needs to be something for me. And that's what's yours is mine. I'll take it. 
creeping into our lives. That one's kind of easy to pick up on and recognize when it sneaks in. The second attitude in the story is a little tougher to pick up. This is an attitude that says, what's mine is mine, I'll keep it. What's mine is mine, I'll keep it. Who is that? Okay, another chance to talk in church. Who is that? Boy, you guys are, you got them scared. They're shy. <laughs> he has said, don't talk. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, who is that? Somebody. The priest and the Levite. Yeah. They have the what's, your, what's mine is mine, I'll keep it. They have the keep my distance attitude, right? You do you, I'll do me kind of attitude. I picture it in my mind. If the guy who's injured is laying right here, I can picture them. They're walking along, and the priest comes up, and he spots him, and he's like, hold on. And he gets over close to the cliff, and he's just staying as close to the cliff as he can, avoid any kind of contact getting any near, anywhere near that guy. Same thing the Levite. He says he, came, he noticed him, but then, he, well, no, get straight to the other side. Now, people hearing this might have said, well, there's some good reasons to do that. There are reasons to avoid a person. One of them would be this. If the priest comes over, and he bends down to help the guy, and he touches him on the shoulder, shakes him, hey, buddy, are you okay? Are you okay? And he kind of rolls him over, and the guy is dead. Now the priest has a problem because he's touched a dead body, and he is ceremonially unclean, and he can no longer be a part of worship at the temple. He can't do any of that. He can't be involved in any way because of that. There's a whole process he has to go through, a cleansing ceremony, to work him so that he can be part of what God is doing. So some would hear that and be like, well, he was just avoiding the idea of saying it's going to pull me out of worship. It almost sounds religious, right? Another would be this. If I do this, if I've been over and I'm going to help somebody right now, I've kind of put myself in a vulnerable position, haven't I? Someone could sneak up behind me and, and get after me pretty easily. And because this road was known, because it was named the way of the blood, because it was known for robbers, there's a certain sense of, wow, this might be a decoy. I don't want to put myself and make myself vulnerable. Now, I've thought about that one. I don't deal with the first problem there of, you know, touch someone and then I can't be part of worship. But I've thought about that second one. The whole idea of what's mine is mine, I'll keep it. My safety over someone in need. Have you ever pulled up to a stoplight and there's someone standing there with a sign and you've reached up and make sure your door's locked? Because I have. I have put my own safety over someone who's in need. Certainly. The what's mine is mine, I'll keep it attitude has definitely found ways to creep into my life. I mean, both of those were issues that probably the people hearing were like, okay, well, yeah, the dead body or a decoy, or maybe it's a time issue. They just didn't feel like they have, he didn't feel like he had the time. I mean, a lot of those sound good. And like I said, it, first one even almost sounds religious, right? What, what's being acted out here, even though they don't realize it, is a saying from Socrates that says this, do not do to others what you don't want done to you. Let me read that again, because there's like a lot of do's and nots and don'ts in there, okay? Do not do to others what you don't want done to you. Can you hear the negative aspect of that? Can you hear how that allows for a, a withdrawal? It allows us to pull back and say, look, you do you, I'll do me, I'm just not going to engage, I'm just going to pull back, and I'm just going to keep my distance. But the thing is, is Jesus turns that a completely opposite direction. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, he said this, he said, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. That is a completely different 
aspect. There's a huge chasm between those two. One has a very negative side and one has a very positive side. Don't do to others, do for others. Jesus calls us out and says, we've got to engage others in ways that we would like to be engaged ourselves. We have to get involved. We can't pull back. We have to be proactive. And imagine how different the world would be if this was an attitude that like was actually functioning and running out there within our world. But the problem is we don't live in that world. We live in a world that we all struggle with our selfishness. We all do. One of the best ways I know to think about that is if, if, I, took, if I had a camera right now and I took like a wide-angle photo and I had everybody in the room on the photo and then we put it up here on the screens, what's the first thing you're going to notice? Ourselves, right? Yeah. I mean, my wife, my wife all the time when we were... When the, the kids were younger, she would always take us to go do these family photos. And we would go, and you guys know those things where you have to dress up. Everybody has to wear, like, we're all going to wear black and white, or all we're going to wear, whatever it might be, you know. So we do that kind of thing, and we'd go, and we'd dress up, and I just did not like, just not my thing, but we'd go, and we'd do it. And then they give you the 40 photos that you want to choose from, and you've got to pick one out and pay $3,000 for a photo. You know what I'm talking about? Anyway, so you're going there, and you're looking, and you're like, okay, here's, here's the photo. And I find the one that I want, and it, if, if my wife is blinking and one of my children is looking the other way and another one is picking her nose, but I'm smiling, that's the one I want, right? Because I look good. I mean, that's how we are as people. We struggle with selfishness. We struggle with what's mine is mine. I'll keep it because it puts the focus back on us. But Jesus calls us to something better. He calls us to the third attitude in this story. And the third attitude is this. It says what's mine is God's. I'll share it. What's mine is God's. I'll share it. Let me continue reading this story out of Luke chapter 10. I'll start in verse 33. Kind of left off here. I'll overlap a little bit. It says, Then a despised Samaritan, remember that word despised Samaritan, those two words right there. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. That's the end of the story. Now Jesus turns to the guy who asked him the original question about who's my neighbor. And he says, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Some versions say, go and do likewise. And that's a phrase that often we talk about at Samaritan's Purse. Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. It is the cry of Samaritan's Purse as we, as we go about accomplishing our day, as we go about accomplishing the things of stepping in and helping people when they have fallen into crisis, when they are in the middle of chaos, when they have experienced the worst day, the worst stretch of time in their life, and we want to show up. We want to go and do likewise. We want to be there to soothe their wounds. We want to be there to care for their needs. We want to be there to help them out. But it's not enough just to, it's not enough for Michael and I to work for an organization that does that. It's not enough for a church to contribute and be part of an organization that does that. Jesus calls us as individuals to do that. We all need to have this attitude that says, what's mine is God's, I'll share it. I asked you to remember the despised Samaritan phrase because what's so amazing about this story is it's an incredibly unlikely hero that Jesus has picked here. 
As he told this, I'm sure the people were shocked. Because again, this is a Jewish audience that he's speaking to. And to tell them that the hero of the story is a Samaritan, the Jews and Samaritans hate each other. They're constantly battling. I mean, look at the news currently. The Jews and Samaritans are constantly, constantly battling out with each other. I try to think of a current day version of the, you know, the story of the Good Samaritan. The good Taliban member? I mean, does that cut it? The good Raiders fan? Does that make it happen? You know, I don't know, so. (laughs) The deal is this. Jesus is taking the structure that they have that is based solely on birth and, you know, what your family is not serving. He's tipping it on in, and he's saying to each of them, hey, you as an individual need to step in. You as an individual need to act. You need to have compassion, and you need to love on other people. People had to just think, why would he do this? Jesus is exposing the fact that the Samaritan, there's something different about his heart. It said there that he had compassion on the man. Compassion. He had that thing going on inside here. And when you have deep compassion in here, it moves you to action. This whole thing, the difference between what's yours is mine, I'll take it. What's mine is mine, I'll keep it. What's mine is God's, I'll share it. The difference between all of those is right in here. It's a heart issue. Completely a heart issue. How do I have a servant's heart? How do I have compassion? How do I say, you know, God, I'm, I just, I, I want to be there. I want to have that right heart. How do we develop and grow that? Because I don't think it's a thing that we just say, God, you just, you know, snap your fingers and now it's done. Although he could, I think it's a thing that he says, hey, let's develop and grow that. It's a muscle. Your heart is, let's work that thing. Let's grow it so that it becomes more and more compassionate. And I have two ideas for you today. The first one is this. Be available. Be available for what God puts in your life as an opportunity to serve the needs of others. I think it involves sitting down and praying and talking with God and saying, God, I am going to specifically let you know right now, I'm available for a need. You put it in front of me in life, I'm going to step in. I don't know what that is, but I'm going to do it. And I have to tell you guys, if you decide to do this, it can be scary because he will drop things in front of you that will require your time. It will require your resources. It will require your money. It will require your abilities. It will require your skills. It will require all kinds of things from you, and you'll have to decide, am I really going to answer that? Am I going to be available and see what God has for me in serving other people? Because I want to have this attitude that says, God, everything I have is yours, so I'm going to share it. There's a great there's a great uh, block of scripture that talks about this. You remember Jesus' first miracle? It was at the wedding, uh, Cana. And he's at the wedding, and you guys probably, those of you, you know, if you've ever read this before, you remember, they ran out of wine. And so Jesus' mom comes to him and wants him to fix the problem, right? She comes and tells him that they're out of wine. And do you remember his response to them? His response, he said, woman, my time has not yet come. And what he's doing is he's saying, I- I'm not ready to do this. Now, I have tried to picture myself saying that to my mom. Woman, pow, right there. I wouldn't even get to the next word. She would lay me out. (laughs) Okay? So I want you to understand, when he says that, that's not a disrespectful thing. It's a different cultural way of communicating, function completely different. But he says, listen, my time's not come. Now, 
what his mom did is actually the same thing my mom would do. She, <laughs> she completely ignored the fact that he said he didn't want to do it, which is my mom would be like, yeah, I know you don't want to do that, but you're going to anyway. You know? And so that's basically what his mom did. She turned to the service and said, do whatever he says. And so he says, all right, go and fill these jars with water. They bring him back, and then he says, take some out and take it to the master's ceremonies. And they take some out, and it is turned into wine, and the master's ceremonies drinks it, and he says it's the most unbelievable wine that he's ever had. And he gives this speech about you know, saving the best for last versus serving it first and all that kind of thing. And that's always how I've heard people talk about this is, oh, God produces the best, and you know, uh, Christ produced the best in his miracle. But what's really incredible, what I think is missed, that's that whole story is in John chapter 2. It's verse 1 through 11. Verse 9, the back half of verse 9, it says, as, it rela- as relating to knowing where the wine came from, it says, the master of the ceremonies didn't know, but the servants knew. And I read that and I was like, holy smokes. The servants knew about the miracle. The servants got to see what God really was doing there. The guy who's important, the master of ceremonies, the one who's up front, the one who's on stage, and everybody's like, oh, you're in charge. And you're in charge. He had no idea what God had done. But the one who said, I will be available, and, I will, and, and you know, they're serving, they're there, they got to see what God, will, God was doing. And I would invite you into that space and say, God, I will be available and see what you can do. And again, I'm telling you, you, you pray this prayer, and he will put it in front of you right away. I prayed this, and two days later, I was going to Chick-fil-A to get some, some of the Lord's chicken um, for breakfast. Um, and as I'm coming around the corner on this little street, I'm right there, and there are two ladies that they're, they're outside their car, and it is stalled in one of the lanes. Everybody's honking at them, and the traffic's all messed up trying to get around them, and nobody's happy with them. And I was like, oh. On my way to breakfast, and I just prayed that I'll be available prayer, and here it is. So I pulled my car in, and I came back. One of them explained she was calling her husband, can't be there for like 45 minutes to an hour, or whatever it is. And so I'm like, okay, well, let's get you out of, you know, let's get you out of, out of the traffic. So we pushed their car into the Chick-fil-A lot, which I always say that's got to count for something, right? I pushed them into Chick-fil-A anyway. So uh, I have a small Chick-fil-A problem anyway. Uh, so I. Uh, I pushed him in, and then I called my wife, and I told her, uh, I said, hey, you know, just so you know, I'm going to be a little longer. There's, I explained the whole situation, because I can't call my wife and be like, um, I'm going to hang out with these two ladies here. You know, I've you know, <laughs> got to have an explanation behind that. So I told him, and I told her why, and I hung out, and we had breakfast there together, and I got a chance to talk with them until one of them's husband came. And what a great time that was, because I got to tell them about, well, two days later, two days earlier, I started praying that God would give me opportunities to help people and just put it right in front of me. And I came around the corner, and guess who was right in front of me, you know? And it was almost like they're going, that's me, you know? I mean, it was just, it was so exciting to have that conversation and to share about God, to share about Jesus, to share about being available. And I invite you to do the exact same thing. Be available. It's scary, but say, God, I'm available for what you want to do with me. Second idea that I have is this. Be intentional. Because being available can be a little passive. Just like, well, God, I'm waiting for you to drop something in front of me. Be intentional. Choose intentionally how you want to serve. You could serve in two locations. You can serve church location, and you can serve, I guess we'll just call it personal life location, outside these walls. And I invite you to do both. Right here in the church. Jennifer would love to have, you know, Several people say, I'll sign up. I want to hang out with little kids. I want to run around with them. I want to rock babies. I want to be part of that. I want to teach them about Jesus. 
They would love to have people serving our worship team. We'd love to have people volunteering in tech and greeting and, and helping with all the various ministries that happen around here. You, I'm sure if you approached Logan and just said, I'm in. I'm ready to go. I'm going to serve intentionally. He will find something for you to do. There it is. <laughs> serve intentionally right here. But do it in your own life. Find a way that you intentionally say, this is something I'm going to do to serve someone else. And do it regularly. Serve that person or those, that group of people, or that organization. Find a way to do it. I want to tell you about a way that I did intentionally in my life years ago, not as a wild look at Troy, but more as an, just as encouragement, that God can use anything, anything, to serve others. I live in Southern California, which means um, we have homes that have basically no yard. Like, my yard was about as big as this podium, you know, kind of thing. Um, it was just usually, like, we lived in condos or patio homes, and literally all we had was concrete or, you know, something along that lines. We never had, like, a lawn. And I remember the first time we purchased a home and it had a lawn. I was so excited. I just, and a lot of people think, well, that's weird, you got to mow it. But I was excited to mow the yard. I'm just one of those people. I like that. I like the idea of the lines and making it all crisp and perfect, that sort of thing. I wanted to buy a riding lawnmower, and my wife said no, because you'd go up and back once, and it'd be done, and you're not spending all the money to do that. I argued with her, but eventually it ended up, I got to get one of those cool, like, like self-powered ones, so I could one hand walk behind it like I thought I was all cool uh, mowing my yard. And uh, so I got that, and I got the edger, the trimmer. I got the little thing that you push that does the Scott's Turf Builder stuff. And so my lawn was immaculate, perfect green, all the edges trimmed off. I mean, it looked like a golf course. It was absolutely amazing. It was incredible. Across the street on an angle, Anne's living over there, and she's a single mom. Man, her, hard, her life is hard, really hard. She has two kids, son, I think he was 19, I think, 18, 19, right around there. Daughter who's 16. Son and her would get into arguments all the time, and um, he'd scream things at her. There, he, I could hear him yelling from him inside, you know, and then he'd come out and he'd continue screaming. He'd scream obscenities at his mother, and then he'd, he'd leave. Same with the daughter. She'd scream all kinds of stuff at him. I w witnessed the son being brought home by the police multiple times. The daughter, her boyfriend would pull up and honk the horn on his little, uh, little motorcycle thing, and she'd come running out. I'd turn to my daughters and be like, you are never doing that. That is just not happening, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, we witnessed this. And, uh, man, her life is so hard. I mean, she doesn't have the money to take care of anything, doesn't have the time, the ability, anything like that. Her house is really falling apart. It's got dry rot. The eaves are falling. It needs to be painted. The yard's a mess. The trees are just horrible shit. Everything's just... Everything is falling apart. And she is a hardened woman. Hardened. You've met a person like that? Doesn't matter a man or a woman. They're just, I mean, just their life. You can just tell they just, they're hardened. And this is the life she lives. I had invited her to come to church different times, but she didn't want anything to do with it. And one day, I'm mowing the yard, and God says, you need to take care of Ann's yard. And I said, no, I don't. And I had a bit of a Jonah time. But I realized eventually, this is my chance to intentionally serve this woman. She's my neighbor, literal neighbor. Lives across the street on an angle from me. So I started mowing her yard. And I mowed it fast, really fast, mostly because I didn't want to get caught by her son. He was a little scary at times. Um, so I'm mowing her lawn. I'm taking care of it and taking care of it. And eventually one day she catches me as I'm finishing mowing her lawn. I've done all the edging. I've just blown everything, you know, and so I'm leaving. And, uh, and she catches me right as I'm getting ready to cross the street, and she starts to call my name as I'm crossing the street. 
And have you ever had a time that someone's calling your name and you pretend you don't hear them? Husbands, do not admit that to your wives. Anyway, um, <laughs> I did one of those. I totally did. I did that. And she's like, Troy, Troy, Troy. You know, I'm just like, I'm like thinking like, if I could just get to my garage, I'm safe, or get to my driveway or something like that. And she catches up with me right at the end of my driveway. And we stand there, and I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Because you can't say to someone, God told me to mow your yard. That just never comes across well. And so I'm standing there, and my wife, she's watching all this. We have a big picture window on that house. Um, she's in the living room, and she can see everything that's going on. So she sees me standing there, and this is totally God moving because it's not me to do this. My, my theme song in life, I, I'm, I am not a hugger. My theme song in life is, if you're happy and you know it, stand real still, okay? Just, <laughs> just who I am. I'm just not a natural hugger, so... Something in me, I just leaned in and I gave her a hug. And she went from to just jello, and almost instantly. And then I walked inside, and I closed the door behind, garage door behind me right away. My wife's waiting for me at the door from the garage going into the house, and she gives me a hug. She's allowed. Anyway, um, and she says, uh, she says, you realize that may be the first hug she's had in years? I remember thinking, would God use mowing the yard so this lady could just get a hug? <laughs> you know? I kept mowing her yard. And eventually she came to church with us. And she got to hear about Jesus. I don't know what happened to the kids. I actually don't even know where she is now. I've kind of lost track because we don't live in that area anymore. Um, there's not like a Disney ending here, anything like that. You know, like um, her son is a pastor now. Anyway, no, I don't have that for you. I, I tell you that just to say, guys, if you will intentionally decide, God, everything I've got is yours, it will be shocking to you what he's willing to use and what he's able to do. I mean, it's a lawnmower, for crying out loud. Most people hate their lawnmower. I enjoy mine. I'm weird like that. But he used that as an opportunity for me to care for and love on my neighbor. What is God tapping your heart to do? What's mine is God's. I'll share it. What's mine is his. I'm willing to use it anytime and anywhere, Lord. Help me to do that. Let's pray. God, help me to be better with this. Help me to be more focused with this. Help me to not just get busy doing my life, the whole I'll do me, you do you. Help me do both these things. Be available when the random times happen. Be intentional and choose specific. Help me to continue to serve the way I am in my current church and help me to do better with serving outside of that as well, Lord, outside those walls. Help me live out this attitude in my life because I know that helps me be more like your son. And that's my goal. I want to live that way and I want to honor you. I pray that prayer for everyone here, Lord. The Trinity Church would, would be known in the community for living that way, that the community would be shocked because they just keep serving others. What a difference.
what a difference it makes when we decide to have that attitude, Lord. Help us do that. In your son's name we pray. Amen.